A professional gamer's career becomes even bigger with a book deal. Google allows live streams and advertising and LinkedIn do's and don'ts. Welcome to Working Girl Talk. Welcome to Working Girl Talk. I'm your host, Abby Zufelt. Working Girl Talk is the podcast for women who work. Each episode covers the latest news in social media, business, and marketing, and we cover a working girl topic. As a marketing strategist and fellow working girl myself, I aim to educate and inspire you to be the best version of you inside and outside of the workplace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Working Girl Talk. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was one of those weeks where so much happened, but at the same time, nothing happened. So the news stories are a little more unique today, but let's get started. First story, the gaming world's best known live streamer, Tyler Ninja Blevins, just signed a book deal. Now, I'm not a gamer, so I didn't know who this was, but when you read a headline that says Fortnite star streamer signs book series deal with Random House, you have to click on it. I wanted to talk about this for a few different reasons, so please stay with me. I know gaming might not be everyone's thing. It's not really my thing, but stay with me. So first, I'm going to dive into the details. Ninja, as they call him, has been a gamer for a while, but blew up when he started playing Fortnite, that popular game, which I'm sure if you know a teenage boy, you've heard of it. But how do you get famous playing video games? You stream yourself playing them, which is a relatively new concept. There's a game streaming platform called Twitch where people can log in and watch professionals play video games. Forbes said that Ninja, his regular streaming schedule is around 9.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. and often plays video games 90 hours a week. So this is his job, so he's working a little bit of overtime. The Wall Street Journal reported that EA, a gaming company, paid him as much as $50,000 per hour to play a game called Apex Legends in February. Ninja reportedly received as much as a million dollars for extensively playing the game after. The game got 50 million downloads within week of release. So that's just a little bit of background, but guys, the reason why I wanted to give some background is just to tell you that influencer marketing is here and this is just a crazy level of it. So even in the gaming industry, they're getting into that influencer marketing world. But back to the book deal, the deal was announced this week and it covers three books to be released beginning in August through two Random House subsidiaries. One of them will be a how-to guide to be a better gamer, something he probably could talk a lot about. The second will be the first in a graphic novel, more comic-like book series. Book deals aren't really that new for non-traditional celebrities. If you're a Bravo fan, you know that Stassi Schroeder released a memoir and book earlier this year. A handful of Bachelor Nation people have written bestsellers, so this is not new. The reason why it's so interesting is that this is just another addition to an already very diverse partnership portfolio for this guy. Last December, Ninja debuted a compilation album of music to game by, featuring tracks from famous EDM performers like Diplo, so he's very much diversifying what his collaboration portfolio looks like. So, so far we have the gaming, an album, a large book deal, and that's not all. It was also announced this week that he's headlining a music festival in Vegas. It will be a music and gaming festival, but still, this guy has got a lot going on. Are you still awake? (laughs) So bear with me. I promise I have a point to this. So the reason why I'm talking about this is for three reasons. One, this goes to show that professional gaming 
gaming is actually a pretty viable career. You never really know what the careers of tomorrow will be. So if you're super passionate about something, figure out a way to make money doing it like this guy too. This is also a great example of capitalizing on every opportunity. In the day and age of viral videos and 15 minutes of fame, I think if you have the opportunity to make money doing something, you really need to take it. And this ninja guy is a great example of that. Will people enjoy watching gaming next year? I don't know, probably just because that's the world we live in, but you never know. So I think it's really smart on his part to just capitalize on every little thing right now and make money off of it. And point number three on why we're talking about this, influencer marketing. Influencer marketing is alive and well, and Instagram is not the only platform where money is made in collaborations. Obviously, this guy is making millions of dollars playing video games and streaming them on Twitch. So just a little reminder for everyone out there who is interested in the influencer um, lifestyle or working as an influencer, diversifying your platform portfolio is something that's probably a good idea in the world of where Instagram is going in and out. Maybe you should look at some other platforms to diversify yourself a little bit to see where you can be most successful. That's just some food for thought. And now we all know a little bit more about this gaming industry. Next story, Google adds YouTube live streaming into the advertising mix. So Google is introducing a new ad format that lets marketers run YouTube live streams in display ads. If you work in Google ads at all, you know that display ads are shown with images versus the typical text ads that you see when you search. These YouTube live stream ads can appear anywhere in Google's display network, anywhere that they can pop up, typically on the side of a website if you're browsing that way. So a person could be scrolling through a website and see a live stream playing right where an ad would be. People can expand the video to full screen, interact with it just as you would on YouTube. And a great question that TechCrunch raised was the charging of this. So you typically get charged for a click or impression when you're doing Google ads. So if they watch longer of the live stream, do you get charged more? Or is there just like a threshold, like once they get past the second mark, you everyone gets charged the same. So I think that's something that really interesting about this. I also think it goes to show that the live feature is an important one and even the advertisers are trying to get into the mix on that live feature, which it's probably mutually beneficial because if you're doing a live, a YouTube live video, basically you're just getting that much more exposure for it in the moment, which is kind of cool for the creator itself. So this is definitely one to watch, literally and figuratively. And now for our working girl topic, since I spent forever talking about the video game guy, we're going to dive right into our working girl topic this week. So LinkedIn do's and don'ts. Love it or hate it, LinkedIn is the professional's digital resume. LinkedIn can help you get that job, find professional opportunities, and help you connect with people in your industry. It's really useful, but as with any social media platform, there are some gray area as to what's normal, what's not, what's the best practices. I still remember when I first started college and created a LinkedIn. I was so confused. Is it supposed to be like Facebook? Do I only connect with people I know? Why do all of these people keep adding me? What's appropriate to include in my bio? So today I'm covering the ins and outs of this sometimes confusing platform. Whether you're new to LinkedIn or a longtime user, here are my LinkedIn do's and don'ts. Number one, profile pictures. Do have a high quality headshot where your face is clearly visible and to where you are recognizable. So if somebody met you offline, they would know exactly who you are. Don't wear sunglasses, wear a hat. It looks creepy like you're trying to hide something and don't have someone else in your profile picture on LinkedIn. I've seen a few accounts where they have a family photo and it's just a little too hard to tell whose profile it is. And the family pictures are more for a Facebook account or a personal account whereas LinkedIn really is 
your professional portfolio online. So I'd steer clear of any pictures with any other people. And on that note, we can tell when you crop someone out of a photo. So best to just take a headshot by yourself. Number two, your LinkedIn bio. Do keep it short, simple, and to the point and very clear. Don't include irrelevant information. Your Instagram bio can say coffee addict and dog mom, but that's not really the most pertinent information when it comes to LinkedIn. We don't need to know about that about you yet. I'm a believer that all of your social media channels are the first impression of you online, but for LinkedIn specifically, it's even more so because it's your professional first impression. So keep it relevant to what you're doing at the moment in your career. A little side note, what should you include in your LinkedIn bio? Do combine these two elements. It can be a direct reflection of your current position in combination with your personal mission statement. So I am a director of social media at a marketing agency. So I would talk a little bit about my responsibilities there, as well as I am truly passionate about connecting businesses to their online consumers, something like that. So you're kind of tying it back together with your personal why. Number three, the experience section. Do match your LinkedIn experience to your resume. If someone sees your resume in person, so say you have an interview and then goes to your LinkedIn, it should be the same person on both paper versus LinkedIn. Obviously you can't fit your whole work history on a resume, on a printed one out for an interview, like you can on LinkedIn where it's digital and you could have as much work experience as you can fit. But the most recent three to four jobs should line up. So if you had a job in between a few or you had a recent promotion, that should reflect on your paper resume as well as your LinkedIn. It's really important to have some consistency because if it's not, it could look a little shady, like on which one are they lying to me? And then for the experience don't, it's don't forget to put specifics under each job slash title. Get specific on what your responsibilities were in the position, especially if you've moved up within the same company. People want to see that progression and what exactly what that looks like. And it makes you look great too, because you can see that progression of skills and responsibilities. And on that note, talking about specifics, if there are specific numbers tied to your role, so uh, personally, I work in social media. If I have a really great stat of an improvement I made to an account, I think that's more than okay to add under there too, because it makes you stand out a little bit than just putting created content. It could be created content with 20% return on the investment spent for ads or whatever it may be. Section number four, recommendations. Do keep your recommendations specific. Recommendations are most valuable when it's about a specific attribute or skill to that person. General is kind of boring and not as meaningful. If you are recommending somebody, being specific carries a lot more weight. And on the don't side, don't write one just to write one for somebody. Recommendation are a personal vouch for that person. You're really attesting to their work. So if you don't really believe in what you're saying, it's best not to do it. Maybe you can turn them to somebody else who would speak better to their skills. Because at the end of the day, it's your reputation too. I think it's always nice if you do know somebody to speak to something you do know about them. But if you never worked with them in an agency, why would you talk about their agency experience and etiquette? So I would steer clear of that. And next one, inviting people to connect. This is quite the topic. So do send a connection if you've met before, you're in the same industry and want to connect and have a purpose or have some sort of real life connection to them. So if it's somebody like a friend of a friend who works in your industry, that's perfectly okay. The real thing to remember here is that LinkedIn should be about creating real meaningful professional connections. So not just to, oh, hey, I need a job. Maybe like asking for some advice if that's your goal with connecting with a person 
person, um, just having like a real meaningful reason to rather than just looking cool or, Hey, I need a job, that type of thing, which isn't really professional. So do send a connection with a meaningful message on why you should be connected. Nobody likes a generic message. And that goes on to my don't for this section. Don't send a generic connection message to everyone in your industry. People can tell if it's a copy and pasted message and it's just not cool. You don't want to spam everyone in your industry. Maybe a few at a time that makes sense. And if you really want to like connect with other people, each connection made will open more connections. So I think that's something to remember as well, that you don't need to shower all of LinkedIn with your connections all all at once for everyone in your industry. And then really just keeping it personalized if you are writing a message for an invitation to connect. And another note on connections. So this is the accepting side. So do accept people in your industry that could be a valuable connection off of the platform as well as on the platform. So if they seem like somebody you could collaborate with later on, make sure there's a valuable connection somehow or they're in the same industry and you can talk or, oh, you see them at these events in your local city. Making sure that you're connecting with the right people, not just to connect. It's not like Facebook. LinkedIn is very much in the professional sense. And there are people that have a ton of connections and know a ton of people and that's fine for them. And I guess really at the end of the day, it's just do whatever you're comfortable with as far as connecting with people. And that goes into my don't section for connections. So don't accept creepy people and don't feel guilty about not accepting people. On the first one, when I first got LinkedIn, I was so confused on who to accept and who not to. And from a quick profile scan, you can just get a feel, trust your gut and see if this is somebody that actually relates to your industry and is beneficial, mutually beneficial for you to connect with or if it's just someone being creepy, because as much as I hate to say it, there's creeps everywhere and there are creeps on LinkedIn too. Like, sorry to burst the LinkedIn bubble, but there's creeps everywhere. So if you don't feel comfortable and you've never met them, you don't have to connect with them. Honestly, you could just leave them floating or you can just simply not connect with them. And part two of that don't is to don't, don't feel guilty about not accepting people. I know it's, always hard. You feel like bad, but at the end of the day, this is your professional network and it's up to you to choose who you want to let into it. And LinkedIn even has the option pop up after you deny connecting with somebody. It says, I don't know this person. You can click that. So LinkedIn is kind of even encouraging that too, that you don't have to connect with somebody that you don't know. On that note, also thinking about your goals on LinkedIn, if you really just want to connect, connect, connect with everybody in different industries, that's up to you. So personally, I don't really like to connect with people I don't know personally or don't have any sort of connection to, but it really depends on what your goals are with LinkedIn. And on to our next section, hosts and content. So what kind of content should you even share on LinkedIn? A few ideas to get you started here. So do share about your job or your company. If there's a company outing or a company event, that's perfectly okay to share on LinkedIn and actually great because it shows a little bit about what your role is like. And there is the option to share that you got a promotion and moved up and it will blast it out to your network as well as sharing an article related to your industry is also a good move because it shows others that you're in the know of what's going on and that's pretty easy content to find. So if you're struggling on what to post, just go to Forbes, look up your industry, share like share thoughts on an article and see what happens there. LinkedIn strategy is a little different than other platforms because it is such professional based and it's visual, but not in the visual sense of like Instagram or Pinterest. So you can kind of play around with the visuals that you want to use there. For our don't section on content, don't post personal moments or 
personal events. It sounds a little harsh, but here's the reason why. LinkedIn is a professional platform for social media, so the artsy photos you see on Instagram or the birthday dinner pics you see on Facebook don't necessarily belong on this platform. You know your audience best, but a good rule of thumb is that you should share content that you feel comfortable your coworkers, your boss seeing, potential boss or manager seeing, because you're more than likely connected to them. And if you're not connected with your coworkers, you should definitely do that. But just making sure it's stuff you're comfortable with through your whole office seeing. So just keeping it on the professional side, more work-related, industry-related, things like that. And even you can try testing it out too if you want to see. But across the board, a best practice for LinkedIn is to keep it very professional, industry-related because a person is connecting with you because they're expecting you to know something about your industry or your company. So that's the content they're expecting to see there. Just a little side note, but like social media, a lot of it is subconscious psychology, what people are expecting you to post. They know your brand. They know they feel like they know you as a person. So if you post something out of the norm, it's a little shocking to them and kind of confusing. So just making sure you're sticking to that professional personal brand on LinkedIn is a good way to go. And that is it for my LinkedIn do's and don'ts. I'm going to do a quick recap so you can remember each of them. So concerning profile pictures, do have a high quality headshot. Don't wear sunglasses or a hat and don't be with other people and don't crop other people out. Bio, don't include irrelevant information and do keep it simple. Experience, do match your LinkedIn experience to your printed out resume. Don't forget to put specifics under each job slash title. For recommendations, do keep your recommendations specific and don't write one just to write one. Next one, inviting people to connect. Do send a connection with a meaningful message on why you should connect. Don't send a generic copy and paste message. Concerning accepting connections, do accept people in your industry that could be a valuable connection off of the platform or somebody you know. Don't feel guilty about not accepting people. As far as content goes, do share content relating to your job or your industry. Don't share personal moments. Save that for Instagram and Facebook. And that is it. That was my quick recap of my LinkedIn do's and don'ts. If you have a LinkedIn do or don't, let me know on the Working Girl Talk latest Instagram post. And if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a connection request and write a little message telling me that you heard this on the podcast. And that is it for our LinkedIn recommendations. Hopefully that gave you a little bit more insight into how LinkedIn works and a little bit more tips to up your LinkedIn game, because especially if you're looking for a job or even just trying to have a good name in your industry, it's super important to upkeep. And moving on, last but not least, we're heading into my Friday favorite. This week is a little different as I have two, because the first one is not so happy and cheery, and I want to make sure we end on a high note, but I feel like this first one's important to share. So The Verge published an in-depth article this week about Facebook's moderating facilities. Facebook moderators are the people that if you've ever gotten anything taken down on Facebook or Instagram, it says, oh, this violates our community guidelines. Would you like to get this rechecked or resubmitted? Our moderators will look at it. So these are the people that make sure that things posted on Facebook are following the community guidelines. So the article that The Verge posted is called Bodies and Seats at Facebook's worst performing content moderation site in North America. One contractor has died and others say they fear for their lives. Quite the headline. I will warn you, it is a 
very disturbing article, so I don't think it's meant to be read by everyone. But if you work in social media or appreciate good journalism, you might want to check it out. It covers the work environment and happenings of these Facebook moderator facilities, which is so wild to me. It was actually really sobering to read because I thought that Facebook moderators were bots or AI. I didn't realize it was actual people that had to to sift through all the garbage on Facebook to see if people are violating community standards, which it's the internet. You know people are posting crazy stuff. So uh, there's always two sides to every story, but if this many people are talking about these working conditions in these moderator workplaces, It makes me feel like something's not right. And also being a journalism major, I always applaud good journalism when I see it. So if you are really interested in that, or if you're interested in journalism or kind of like the darker side of Facebook, and it's really fascinating, but again, very disturbing and not a happy article at all. So take that with a grain of salt, but I thought it was important to share if that is something that you're interested in. But on a happier note, because Working Girl Talk is all about inspiring and being happy. So on a happier note, because I'm always talking about my little TV reviews. My Friday favorite this week was the episode of NBC's Songland, if you haven't heard of it. Basically, it's like American Idol, but it's songwriters pitching songs to get famous artists to sing it. So each episode has a famous artist on it. And this past week was the Jonas Brothers and 14-year-old Abby was just living her best life watching that. But basically, they have four songwriters pitch their songs and they perform it and then they work with a few different producers. And then at the end, the singer, in this case, the Jonas Brothers, picks the song they want to record. And it was just so cool. And I've been listening to the songs all week. So even the people that don't get picked get their songs recorded and they're all on iTunes. So if you want to hear a good bop, listen to Greenlight by the Jonas Brothers. So now Working Girl Talk is turning into a TV and music podcast as well. (laughs) Just kidding. But that, you know, that's my life. So there is a good happy note. Check out Songland. It's super fascinating. And I'm always fascinated by different careers and the way people start out in these careers. And I think we'll definitely be seeing some some careers jumpstart from this. So there's my little Working Girl Talk Friday favorite. And thank you so much for listening today. I will talk to you all next week. Have a great Friday. 